Now we are going to turn our attention uh, to our next uh, Advent theme. Uh, We have been going through the uh, Advent series, traditional Advent themes, gospel themes in the story of Christmas. We hit faith and hope, and now we're going to love. Uh, But let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dive into the word and the message. Heavenly Father, Uh, We are so thankful uh, to be part of what you are doing uh, around the world and in our country with church planting, with missions work, with caring for those in need. Uh, Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the the funds you've given us and, uh, Lord, for the hearts here who who saw it as uh, not just an obligation but a joy to be able to give and to bless others. And, Lord, really our our heart's desire is to see spiritual fruit from these gifts. God, that uh, people in Uganda would come to know you more as Savior and Lord, that Port City Church would grow, and that more people from the Atlantic area would, would hear the gospel, that uh, young mothers and their children would be cared for practically and see that it's, it's the local church doing it because of, of your love. And so we, we pray, Lord, that uh, in all of these things, you would be honored and glorified, and uh, we thank you for the joy of being part of it. And Lord, I pray now as we turn our attention uh, to the topic of love. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, in spite of our own uh, hardness of heart, in spite of our own sin, in spite of my own sin, Lord, that we would draw nearer to the truth about your love for us in the gospel, in the Christmas story. And Lord, that uh, you would help us to know you more. So I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So... Uh, love, at the outset, it, it, here's what I think I will say. Love is um, a universal uh, human desire, I think it's fair to say. Uh, a universal human experience, I think is also fair to say, even if we don't experience it uh, purely or perfectly. Love is something that, that human beings uh, want, are, are hoping to be part of our lives. We, we see it in the art that human beings create. Uh, love is this topic of all sorts of uh, creative endeavors, right? I'm thinking plays, I'm thinking uh, poems, novels, short stories. Uh, there are many, many things written, have been written uh, about love. Probably these days, uh, we, don't, we don't read a lot of poems these days, but we do listen to music, and there are many, many love songs. I mean, so many songs about love. Uh, we have been told that all you need is love. We've been told, I can't help falling in love. We've been called, I love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a lot of really in-depth things have been written down about love and that we listen to and that we enjoy. And it tends to be about, you know, romantic love, boyfriend and girlfriend, husband and wife, the breakup in love, the heartache, all of those things are part of our experience of love. Uh, but it, it tends to skate along the surface. Not that breakups aren't really hard or that true love isn't truly great, But not many of those songs really get to what I think we would say is the essence or the true nature of love. However, there is one that came to my mind, uh, which is more of just a popular song. It's an old song, uh, originally recorded in 1948 by Nat King Cole. It has a strange title. I didn't know this was the title, but the title is Nature Boy. But these lyrics, I think you might recognize and, and definitely ring true. The chorus, the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. Beautiful lyrics. Uh, I looked up the story on it. Strange story. R- written by uh, a, a guy, sort of a hippie type guy in like the 40s. He lived uh, under the Hollywood sign, actually, and wrote these words down, the song down, and, and made it to Nat King Cole, get, put them in his hand. The producer's like, get out of here, right, you ruffian. And the, but Nat King Cole started playing it and, and loved it, recorded it. It was a huge hit. It, it's got these lyrics that 
seem to be uh, touching on something much deeper than the regular kind of love that we sing about. Because they articulate, I think, something that we intuitively know to be true, which is that we don't often know how to love each other very well. And more than that, we don't uh, often know how to receive love very well. It's difficult for us. This idea of, of having to learn these things, uh, I think, does strike us as something true to human nature and to the nature of love. And as we think about these, these things, we probably know some of the reasons why it's hard to do this. Very often, it's because we have been hurt by love. Uh, we've been neglected by those who have said they love us. And this has left us uh, jaded. It's, it's left us um, in isolation for, for a lot of reasons. It could be that we're in isolation because uh, we felt abandoned, right? Like we feel we're kind of floating like a shipwreck survivor on a little dinghy because uh, no, one, no one loves us. We don't feel loved. Or it could be because we've been hurt, we put up walls. And so we're on the other side of the walls protecting ourselves from those who've said they love us and are going to hurt us. Either way, we're surviving on meager rations in our isolation. Like love crackers, right? Just, just barely surviving because we have the impression, I think in general, that there uh, is a shortage of love in the world and, and that it's very difficult for us to, to feel it and experience it. And yet, this is a tragic state of affairs because if we read the Bible, we see a message that is exactly the opposite. What we find in the word of God is that there is an abundance of love for every human being. If you just do a, a word search in the Bible, as I did this week, you'll find 650 verses about love. There are many, many psalms, which are essentially songs about love. Psalm 136 uh, repeats the phrase, his steadfast love endures forever. The love of God endures forever. Repeats it 26 times over and over and over again, just trying to impress upon us. This is true. This is real. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's right there. The one verse that probably everyone knows. Football players put it on their eye black. This is, this is the thing that people would know about Christianity. God loved the world. 1 John uh, 14 or 4.14 is that God is love. Not just that he loves us, but that, that he actually is love. The abundance of love. So the question is, why do we feel so starved of love? Even in the church, even for those who read the Bible and have heard this many times before, there definitely are seasons of our lives where we struggle to feel that love. Maybe we read about it, maybe intellectually we kind of, I get it, God, God loves me. But we feel isolated, we feel separated. So why is that? Well, there's probably, probably a lot of reasons, but I think two main ones. Uh, one is that I, I don't think we really understand God's love. And so when things happen in our lives, uh, we have trouble reconciling this event, this whatever happened with a God who loves us and is sovereign, and yet the two don't seem to go together. And secondly, I don't know that we've truly experienced God's love in a tangible, spiritual, even you might say supernatural Way. And so that's, that's what I'd like to speak into, this challenge of, of loving God and, and being loved by God and knowing it's true and, and feeling it in, a, in a genuine way. So three points about God's love. Here's the first one. Uh, God's love opposes us in our sin. God's love opposes us in our sin. Uh, 
the story of God and human beings is actually a story of love. If you read the first two chapters of Genesis, God created Adam and Eve, and what you find is a loving relationship. There's intimacy, there's, there's harmony, there's a personal nature to it. God came and walked with them in the cool of the, of the garden. There was a, a sense of genuine friendship, genuine love, and harmony. But it didn't take long for that all to get fractured. Why? Because Adam and Eve went their own way. God said, here are the, here are the rules. Here's, here are my commands for you so that you will, you will continue to enjoy this, this loving relationship, this perfect existence. And they said, no, we're going to go in this other direction. We're not going to believe you and your word. Not going to believe that you're, you're truly intending good for us and that you love us. If they believed that, they wouldn't have ever eaten the fruit, but they had a, a thought of, I think maybe we know better. And it, it wrecked everything. All of a sudden, they were distant relationally from God, under the condemnation of God. But, but here's what's different about God's love. When that kind of thing happens with human beings, when there's betrayal, right? When someone turns their back, goes the other direction, what, what happens? Well, the relationship ends. And, and usually, uh, the people, uh, if they don't hate each other, they certainly don't want anything to do with each other. They go their own direction. It's over. It's done with. But that, that wasn't the case with God. Okay, God never stopped loving human beings. Even though sin came between them, his disposition towards human beings was still love, but, but the manifestation of that love changed. Instead of a, a warm, open, welcoming embrace that would have been there in the garden, uh, it was now a disposition of anger. Uh, uh, he was opposed to Adam and Eve in their sin. There, there was words and, and expressions of judgment from God to human beings. He told them it would happen. If you eat this fruit, you're, you're going to die. You're going to be under the condemnation of my anger and my wrath, the flood. That was another example of it. Sodom and Gomorrah, you see it over and over. There are, there are 60, 650 verses about love in the Bible, but there are also a lot of verses about God's judgment, about God's wrath. And this can be confusing confuses a lot of people, right? To try to square, put those two together. Not just on a theological level of, of how like a loving God could then bring judgment, but on a personal level. It's hard to feel loved when God keeps bringing up the wrong things that we've done and keeps telling us that there's consequences for these things. And, and you find this over and over again in the Bible. Here's, uh, here's one from Romans 1.18. This is... Uh, where Paul is really writing about this whole thing, about humanity, our sin. So here's what he says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It just doesn't feel very loving, right? It feels like God is upset and that we've done something wrong. And that, there, I mean, there's wrath. How do those two go together? Look at Romans 3.23, just in case we weren't clear. This is for, he's talking to everyone. For all have sinned and fall short of the, the glory of God. It's not just a few of us. Everyone, none of us has measured up. Every, everyone is under this anger of, of God. And you even see it in the story of Christmas. You have to look for it. But here's uh, the angel speaking to Joseph. We saw this last week. But he says about Mary, uh, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins, which is great news. But, but the question that you might fairly ask is, well, why did we need to be saved? And who are we saved from? And the answer is we're saved from God, 
from the righteous anger of God that is expressed towards all who are in sin. And so that's very difficult then. For someone to, how, how do we understand this? God is loving, but he's saving us from himself. For many, many people, this reality, this truth obscures the love of God. It, it taints the love of God. How can I believe that he actually is loving towards me when he's also opposed to me in my sin? What's the answer? Well, the answer is very simple, really. The answer is that it's true love, true love will always oppose evil. True love will always act to, to, to bring a, a, a confrontation against those things which are going to destroy us in our lives. See, God's love is not shallow. It's not superficial. It's not flighty. It's not, by that I mean it's not just, hey, you guys are great. I love you. Right? The way you are, man, I'm so glad being around you. That kind of, you know, that's what you hear when you are with friends. Right? Is, is there something grievous going on in your life and you're heading towards destruction? Maybe, but listen, you're great. You're fantastic. I don't want to have a hard conversation. That feels awkward. So I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to love you. That's not, it's not true love. True love is when you intervene, is when you bring up the hard conversation. When you say to your friend, look, I, I love you as you are, but look, the, you can't stay this way. You're going you're gonna to wreck your life. This is what interventions are all about. Someone who has addiction problems, the people in their lives, they come around and say, because we love you, we're going to confront you in this. We're going to oppose you. There's something, something present in your life that is going to wreck your marriage, wreck your job, everything. And so because we love you, we're not just going to sit back and give you love platitudes. Everything's great. It's not great. And if we care about you, we're, we're going to say something. That's, that's the nature of true love. That's always the way that God works. It says in the Bible, God opposes the proud. Why? Because the proud are annoying? Sure, they are. Proud people are annoying, right? They're irritating. We know them. Some of us are them. We, we know what that's like, right? It's not, but that's not why God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud because he loves the proud. He doesn't want to leave the proud person on his or her own to just continue living self-sufficiently. Not because he wants to just stick it to them, because he loves them. You're, you're heading on a road of destruction. I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to say something. I'm going to oppose that part of you which is going to destroy you. This is the nature of true love. And if we've been in re genuine relationship with people, hopefully we've experienced this. Or someone has, has brought up a difficult thing in a loving way to try to help us to see the truth. This is always how God deals with sinners. I came across one example of this that I thought was, I thought was really helpful, really insightful. This was, I was reading a, a short article uh, by a woman named Jackie Hill Perry. Uh, this was in Christianity Today. It's from a few years ago, but I just read it this week. And she was recounting her conversion experience. Some of you may know uh, her story. She's now kind of an author and teacher. Um, she was raised in the church, taught the Bible, knew the Bible. Uh, but from a young age, as she uh, described it, she was uh, attracted to girls rather than boys. Uh, she just said that was just, it was just there. That was just how, how she felt. And so through her, her kind of uh, early teen years and teen years, she, she kind of wrestled with this. And by the time she was 17, she just fully embraced uh, a lesbian lifestyle. She said, this is just, this is just how I am. And I, I'm going to live this way. In her young adult years, uh, she wasn't ashamed of it. She wasn't conflicted about it. Uh, she knew she liked girls. She didn't really care who knew. 
Uh, she had a steady girlfriend who she loved deeply until one night when everything changed for her. And, and as she talks about it, she said it was not a, a night that was different than any other night. There wasn't, uh, it wasn't nothing to do with church, nothing, it was just a regular kind of ungodly uh, night that she was living. And, and yet something happened that uh, impacted her in a profound way. So I've got two quotes from her. Here's the first one. Uh, she can sort of tell the story. She says it this way. As suddenly and randomly as Paul was struck blind on the Damascus road, I had the unsettling thought that my sin would be the death of me. That was the thought. Here was her reaction. This is what she said back to God. She said, but I don't want to be straight, I said to God, meaning every single word, because I knew I liked girls. The conviction I experienced in my room was not only unexpected, but also unwelcome. It's interesting. Right? She, she wasn't looking to change. She, she hadn't been thinking about her lifestyle. She hadn't been thinking. She, she knew these things. She'd been raised in the church. right? She knew that the way she was living was sinful, but that wasn't something that she was wrestling with. And yet what happened? She had this intrusive thought that later she would say, and we would affirm it was the Holy Spirit, bringing what? A confrontation, opposing her in, in the way that she was living. Why? Here's, this is the question. Why would God do that? Why would God confront her with that? Was it because he wanted her to feel worthless and condemned and wrong? Not at all. He did that because he wanted her to experience what? Life, true life, true love, an abundance, a genuineness of life and love that she, that she could not have when she continued down a path that was opposed to God. And so God, in his grace, in his mercy, he did what? He confronted her in her sin. Why? So that she would see her need for Christ. So that she would see the greater value of Christ. I'm going to read a little bit more. I'm going to read something, then I'll show you something. This is what she said. She said, reflecting on this, in the scriptures, I knew there existed much condemnation for all that I loved and lived. And she references Romans 1.18 that we talked about. But in the same Bible, where I found condemnation, I also found the good news that God loved and died for people like me so that I could live forever, John 3.16. Now look at these words. I didn't need to know much more than that. Without a sermon, an altar call, or any emotionally laden music gesturing me to come to Jesus, just sitting in my bed with the TV on and the sun not yet up, I saw Jesus. He was better than everything I'd ever known and more worthy of having everything that I thought was mine to own, including my affections. They were for him to have and to be glorified with. And from that moment on, she came to true and genuine faith, lived for Christ to this day. So, so what is that all about? It's the love of God. It's the love of God, what? Initially opposing her in her sin. Why? Because he really loves her. Because there actually is a thing called sin and it actually does bring the condemnation of death, eternal death forever. Why? Because God is a righteous God. Because he loves us. And he wants for us to experience true life, not just momentary uh, life on this earth that ends in eternal death. He's a true friend who wants to confront us about the things that, that will destroy us. This happens to everyone. We may not realize it because maybe we were too young, maybe depending on the situation. But every Christian is someone who has at some point seen our sin for what it is. How? Because God, God opposes us. Maybe it's through others who brought it up, who said, look, the, the thing you're doing, the way you're living, there's no hope in it. 
the intention isn't to make people hopeless, but to, to see the truth. And to see ultimately, like, like Jackie Hill Perry said, that there is a grace and an abundance of sacrificial love that God has brought into the world, not just a word of condemnation, but a word of hope. So the first thing we need to know about God's love is that he does oppose us in it, and for some of us, we've been resisting that. For some of us, we've mistaken it for for a condemning word. Maybe there's people in our lives who've, who've been trying to talk to us about something, and we've wanted none of it. In fact, we've been distancing ourselves from them. Why? Because we don't want to change. And yet, if we actually want to have life, genuine life, and we actually see that God is real, we are compelled by these words of confrontation to turn, to confess, and to repent. And we're not, we're not going to experience love or life until we do. That, that's not a, a, a difficulty of God. It's not God being difficult with us, right? being insistent. It's God being loving and gracious. Just like to anyone who's headed in a path of destruction, don't go that way. Stop going that way. Come, this, this is the road to life. And, and God isn't just pointing us the way. He made the road. He made it possible for us actually to have life. So this is the second point. First, God, God's love opposes us in our sin. Secondly, God's love saves us from our sin. This is... This is the good news. This is the Christmas story. This is what everything has been working up to for thousands of years in the Old Testament until finally there was an angel in the sky proclaiming to the, to the shepherds below with great joy this, uh, uh, Luke 2.10 and 11. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior. Why? Because we needed saving. Why? Because we were in sin. Because we couldn't do it ourselves. We needed God himself to come down, and he did. The birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, all of it is the greatest expression of love that has ever been shown. Why? Because it it shows a heart of love. It it shows that God cared for us. He saw us in in our weakness, in our inability, Look, look at how um, it's described in Romans. I mean, lots of verses, again, about love. But the, here's one that just kind of helps us to see what it is, the nature of it. Romans 5, 6 to 8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does it mean, Weak. How are we weak? Well, in every way. Weak morally. Without God, we have no clear understanding of good and evil. Right? You can see it in the world. Right? Good and evil can be mixed up, transformed, shifted, corrupted, and, and no one really knows. No one can really tell. On our own, we have no clear idea of what is evil, what will actually bring destruction, what separates us from the living God. Spiritually speaking, we're dead in our sins. We have no ability to to even commune with God. On our own, we're like, the Bible describes us as like zombies. We're physically alive, which is the the tough thing. Most of our culture thinks we are, this is life, we're living it. 
Right? Many of us, if we're young, if we're healthy, if we're wealthy, we feel like this, this is it. I want this to continue. And the Bible says this is nothing. This is a breath. It's a vapor. Spiritually speaking, you're not even alive yet. You need intervention. You need some activity of God to bring you to the point of actually being alive so you can see the truth. In every way, we were weak. And what did God do? He didn't leave us in our weakness. He reached out. In love, Jesus took initiative. This is what love is, isn't it? Isn't this? Don't you know that someone loves you? Why? When they pick up the phone or they, what do they do? They text. They, they, they send a word. They bring a gift. They do something. They take initiative. That, why? We know they care about us. They're, they're thinking of us. Jesus took great initiative, leaving the perfect communion with the Father and the Spirit to come down here to be born as, as us, as a human being. And then what did he do? He persevered in obedience according to the plan of God. Why? To glorify the Father, yes. To love us, yes. Yes, he endured suffering. He endured hardship. He sacrificed himself to appease the righteous anger of God. All why? Because he loved us. Because we couldn't do any of it. This, this is love. It, it, it steps in. It speaks up. It gives of itself. It doesn't leave the people in our lives to destroy themselves. See, the, the issue in this world is not that there's a short supply of love. There's an abundant supply of love. That the challenge is whether we are actually able to receive it, whether we believe it. Right? Just like that, that hippie said, right? The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. So, so why is it so hard? And for some of us, it's, it's, it's not even a question. I mean, it's, it's so obviously hard. We, we've been trying. It's nice. <laughs> it's a bit of a heavy moment, so a little music is good. See, for many of us, uh, we, we just know intuitively how hard it is to receive love and, and to love others, the love of God especially. And for many of us, We've gotten to the point because of all sorts of reasons. People have hurt us, people have disappointed us, or, or even worse yet, when we felt disappointed by God. When there's things in our life that happen that are so obviously in our minds contrary to what any loving person, much less a loving God, would do, what do we do? We, we put up the walls. We take a step back. We, we get harder to the point that we feel we feel numb. We feel like we, we can't actually, I mean, we can read it, we can see it. I hear, Matt, what you're saying, but I don't know that I can actually ever experience this. The thought that I would be able to wake up uh, on any given day and just trust and know that I'm deeply loved by God and that everything in my day, because God is sovereign, everything is for my good, I don't know that I can actually get there. How, how can I possibly get to that point? And how can the people in our lives that we've been praying for, how can we hope that they will get to that point? Well, here's our third point, to address that. God's love, here's what it does. It overpowers the hardest hearts. This is the good news. That not just that it's there, but that God steps into our individual lives to help us to actually believe this and to experience it. This is part of the greatness of God's love. Because here's the difference. For us, if, if you were to think of us, the love that we have, let's say we had a bottle of it, uh, we tend to be fairly um, frugal with our love. Right? Like if you think about the way that we interact with people, we, we might 
open the faucet, like turn on the tap and show a little bit of love. But what we're really looking for is uh, uh, that they would re- reciprocate with their love. Right? Then, we're, then we're encouraged to give more. We'll pour a little more out. A little more, a little more. That's kind of the dating relationship. I love you a little bit. I'm going to trust you a bit. If you show it back to me, okay, then we're going to. But as soon as someone uh, hurts us or disappoints us or doesn't reciprocate, what do we do? Mm-mm, putting the lid on. I'm not giving you my, I've only got so much love. I'm not going to waste it on you. You won't say that, but what do we do? Emotionally, we distance ourselves. We may even still be in relationship, in a, in a marriage, and yet we've, we've got the lid screwed on tight. Why? Because we're worried that if we give it all, it's going to be gone. Listen, God is not like that. God is love. He is an abundant supply of love, which means that he's not scared of running out. And so even when we turn our backs on him, even when we harden our heart, that doesn't phase him. He's just going to pour more onto us. He's going to show us more love and grace. That's why I have all these metaphors that Jesus is teaching. What does he do? There's a there's hundred sheep. One's gone. I'm going to leave all these. I'm going to go find you. I'm going to reach out to you. I'm, I'm not going to stop until you experience and know who I am as a loving God. This is the gospel. This is all of our lives. How many times have we disbelieved? Have we doubted? Have we gotten to a dark place? And by his grace, he, he does something, brings someone, brings a word. Bring, and and we, we, we realize from God does love me. Praise God. I came across a story that I thought just such a beautiful, I mean, there's a lot, there's millions of stories about this, but this one story I heard um, was about this girl from Korea. Her name was Jihei. Uh, the story was told by uh, a guy who kind of ended up being almost like an adopted father for her, but n- not exactly. Uh, he and his family were American. They were uh, living in Indonesia uh, in a boarding school there. He was teaching there. They were living and teaching there. Uh, one day, Jihei uh, got dropped off at the school. She's Korean from Korea. Uh, her mom lived in Korea. Uh, she lived in Korea. Uh, her dad lived in Indonesia. They had separated a uh, long time ago. Her mom never wanted her, uh, never showed any, any indication that she wanted her, eventually got tired of her, sent her to her dad. Her dad didn't want her, they didn't want to deal with her. So when she got to Indonesia, he said to his driver, he was pretty wealthy, uh, found a boarding school, said, drive, drive her there, just pay them whatever they want just to, to take her. So this girl, seventh grade girl, ended up in this uh, headmaster's office of this school, uh, didn't speak Indonesian, didn't speak English, uh, was in Indonesia, in the English boarding school, and the headmaster didn't know what to do with her, and so we called in uh, one of the language teachers, who is this this guy, he's a Christian guy, tried to talk with her. Uh, You can imagine her view of herself and the world. She was a very angry girl, Uh, very, very bitter, very uh, aggressive, and so they tried to talk with her. She, she was having none of it, tried to like, you know, do signs, try to figure things out. So this guy, um, sort of in his head, prays, God, what am I supposed to do? And he feels God saying, you should bring her home with you to live with your family. So he says to the headmaster, could, could we take her in and she could still stay at the school? And he says, sure. So here's what the, the dad does. He says to his uh, family, he's got three sons, uh, I think teenage years. He says to them, look, this girl's going to come live with us. Here's what I want you to do. Every time that she uh, walks in the room, I want you to stand up and I want you to say, um, I'm so glad you're here. And just tell her all the reasons that you're glad that she's living with our family. And they're like, dad, she doesn't speak English. He's like, I, I know, but just, just do it uh, all the time over and over again. So that's, that's what they did. She came to live with them. Every time she came in the room, the boys would stand up and they would just tell her, I'm so glad you're here. They started calling her princess. Princess, we're so glad you're here. So glad to know you. When, when dinner would have, come for dinner, everyone would stand up. Oh, princess, we're so glad you're eating with us. 
This whole time, the dad is trying to teach her English, a little bit of English. And uh, she's, she's not having it. She's very, very angry, doesn't you know, trust anyone. But she did have one question. Uh, she was able to, you know, through translators, say, I have one question. What does the word princess mean? Because uh, she figured they were uh, making fun of her, right? So he tells her, oh, princess means honored. means valued, royalty. Oh, starts, she just breaks into tears. The, the first crack in, in her hard outer shell. And it keeps going. Uh, the other thing about her is that she hadn't passed any grades of school. In school, they just kept pushing her on. No one cared. Her mom didn't care. So she, she, didn't, she couldn't read or write. And so what they would do is when she would get a grade other than an F, so when she got a D, huge party, big party. Um, you got a D? That's fantastic. I can't believe you got a D. Ah, we knew you could do it. Just try to get a C minus. C minus is amazing. Big party, big constant affirmation, month after month, year after year. Two years later, grade nine, uh, she has an experience with Christ. Uh, this is a Christian family. They've been showing the love of God. They've been telling her about the love of God, telling her about the gospel. She comes to believe that it's true for her, that, that she actually is wanted, is valued, is loved, that God sent his own son to die for her, changes her life. By grade 11, she says to this, uh, to this guy, this kind of dad, she says, I know what I want to do with my life. He says, what? Here's, she says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to graduate. Uh, I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm not going to get married. Uh, I'm going to use all my money to rescue girls. That's what she does. She, she's an executive somewhere, and she just, she just rescues girls who are unwanted. What is that? I mean, it's an amazing story, obviously. I was listening as I was driving. I was like crying, crashing the car. <laughs> it's an amazing story. It's an amazing story of what? Of, of what? The love of God. What is it? This poor girl, neglected, right? If anyone had a reason to disbelieve that there was love in the world, it was her. Right? We, know, we know this reality, many of us. And yet, the, what happened? God overcame that hardness. How? Through the love of the gospel. Through people who had been changed by the love of God and then were able to love her in this gracious... Right? She wasn't reciprocating any love for a lot of time, but they kept loving her. Why? Because they'd experienced God's love. That's what, it, that's what happens right? With, with Jackie Hill Perry, what? Experienced the love of God. How? Because he overcame her sin and her hardness. By why? Confronting her in her sin, but then leading her to understand the grace of the gospel. With Jihei, experienced it through the people around her. This is what we see over and over again. Think of the Apostle Paul, right? Was there a harder person towards Christ and his church? No. And yet, what did God do? He just intervened. He overcame all of that hardness through an experience of the presence of Christ. Why? Because God's love is real. God is real. His love is abundant. And so the real question for us today, this morning, for each one of us is why are we nibbling on love crackers? Why are we just being sustained by the meager expressions of love, the people in life that give us a little bit? And why do we close ourselves off? I think we know the answer to that last question. Is it not because we're afraid? We're afraid, right? We're afraid that if we trust God like we've trusted people, we're going to be hurt. We're going to be disappointed. We're afraid that maybe what he says isn't actually true, that he actually isn't working all things out for my good. We're afraid that we're going to, we're going to trust him, we're going to walk forward, and it's not going to work out. And what is that? It's all a lack of, of faith, of not actually knowing God for who he is. Because if we knew him for who he was, we, we could never think that way. 
In fact, in fact, this is what God says about himself. Here's the, the last verse we're going to read today. This is about, all about the love of God. 1 John 4, 16. Uh, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. I love that phrase because it points out two things. We need to understand, right? Sometimes you don't understand. How can a loving God allow difficult things or oppose us? It doesn't feel loving. We need to understand that. But then, what do we need to do? We need to believe it. We need to have faith. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I always thought it was so interesting that, that you would mention fear there, because I think that is, that is the issue, right? We, we think that God is going to be strong towards us, like, like heavy-handed, like he's going to constantly point out all the wrong things that we've done, like maybe people have done in our lives. And so we feel like this sense of authority. How can we trust him? How can we open ourselves up to him? He's just going to look for an opportunity to, to squish us down. But what it says here is if we truly know the love of God, there, there's no fear there. Why? Because we can trust him fully. Why? Because we've seen his heart in Christ, in the, the story of Christmas, in the story of Easter, in the expression of, of him coming into the world and then sacrificing himself. Could there be any doubt that God is for us? Why would he give everything for us and then try to stick it to us in the circumstances of our life. If we truly know God and his love, then we will believe each day what is actually true. God actually is working everything out for our good. That even the, even the things you didn't want to happen, even the things you didn't expect to happen, God is bringing it into our lives so that we would know him more so that we would trust him more. Yes, sometimes through persevering through difficult things. But if we trust his love, then it's going to be easy to see that in this life, this short temporary life, that God is orchestrating everything so that we might experience him more fully. Not just that we can have a healthy, wealthy life that ends in eternal death. That's not loving. What's loving is to do everything possible to wake us up to the reality of our sin and to the reality of the cross. And that's what he does by his grace. So, so two quick points of application. Number one, for us personally, we, we need to ask ourselves, can I really trust God? Am I trusting him? Am I seeking him? Like when I go to bed, when I wake up, when something happens, do I want to be reminded of these truths and believe them? And the second application is, is for the people in our lives that we are so disheartened about, that we feel discouraged because of their hardness of heart. May we be encouraged to see that their hardness of heart is no match for the love of God, especially, especially when there's someone in their lives that has been transformed by the grace and love of God and then we can show it to them, that we can pray for them, we can fast and pray and keep, keep loving them in a gracious way. I'm not sure the timeline. I'm not saying it's going to be short or it's going to be easy. But what we see over and over again is that God delights in saving those who are very, very lost and very, very hard. And that it brings him glory 
to have another testimony of someone saying, I was totally hell-bent on, on running away from God, and yet he reached out and saved me. He grabbed me. He softened me. How? Through the people in my life, through the ministry of the Spirit or the Word or whatever it may be. And so we, can, we should take heart in not just the truths of the gospel, but the power of the gospel, that God is love. There's an abundance of it. Let's praise him for it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, what an amazing thing it is that you love us. We who are unlovable, we who in our sin really wanted nothing to do with you, didn't even think that we, we needed any help, and yet you still loved us. Lord, what a, what a gracious thing. God, may we not forget that that is your heart towards sinful humanity at this point in human history, God, that you are extending grace and love and mercy over and over and over again, and God, that we, we as a church get to be part of it. God, may we know your love. I pray today for those who are so fearful of trusting you, for those who are so hardened, just feel so much safer to have this, this buffer between us and you, God, would you help us just to, to lay down those walls, to come forward, Lord, to, to, to lay ourselves before your feet and receive everything. The, the whole life that you have planned for us, whatever it may be, God, may we see it in faith as, as a loving direction, a loving call. And God, may we trust you for the people in our lives that are, are lost in their own sin. God, may you give us the capacity, help us to see we don't have a small jar of love. We have, we have a conduit of grace and love that comes directly from you. And so we can love each other sacrificially, selflessly, for your glory and for the good of the people around us. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.